everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Super glad you're here today. You are in for a really special treat today. You are probably a little bit like me. I find myself right now just in this crazy world, constantly craving stories that are life-giving, right? Like people who are loving and accepting and warm and welcoming. I'm just, my eyes are just searching everywhere for those people and for those places. And I think we just need it. Uh, so many of our days are filled with fears and worries and uncertainties and the world is weird right now. And we need people who can kind of throw their arms around us and give us a soft place to land. So there was a person in recent history in our lifetime who did exactly that in the most profound and special and simple way. And of course, his name was Fred Rogers, right? Like just saying his name makes me smile. Mr. Rogers. I grew up on Mr. Rogers. My, I raised my kids on Mr. Rogers. Um, I, I love him. I, he has a cherished place in my memory, my childhood, my kids' childhood. And I think the world needs him right now, just needs him. So guess what? We're lucky. We have a great interview today because we are getting Mr. Rogers back in a sort of way. We lost him in 2003, but we're getting him back in a brand new movie, It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and guess who it stars? None other than America's dad, Mr. Tom Hanks, as Fred Rogers. I mean, in the whole world, I can't think of anybody better cast. So I'm so excited to tell you today, we are talking with the two minds that brought this story to the big screen. Today on the show, we have the co-writers and the executive producers of the movie, Noah Harpster and Micah Fitzerman Blue. We are so lucky, you guys. Um, Micah and Noah actually started as writers and producers on the show Transparent. It was like a Golden Globe Emmy Award winning show. Um, It starred Jeffrey Tambor. You may have seen it on Amazon. They also wrote, hello, Disney's Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, starring Angelina Jolie. They wrote that, which just came out. They're adapting, oh, readers, heads up. They're adapting Jess Walter's novel, Beautiful Ruins. Have you read it? I read it in a minute. Um, They're adapting that right now for the big screen. And then together, over the course of 10 years, they wrote everything there was to write on this movie, on a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and have brought it to life. They're so fun too, you guys. Like this is a fun interview. They are great to talk to. And it was so interesting to talk about um, how they shaped up the movie because it might not be what you think. And how they told it through what lens and casting and just all of it. Um, I asked them every single question about it and they were like so generous with their answers. And so super, super pleased to share my conversation with the writers and the executive producers behind the brand new movie with Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Noah Harpster and Micah Fitzerman Blue. Okay. Uh, this is an exciting day. I am just tickled pink to welcome Noah and Micah to the For the Love podcast. Hello. 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 How's it going? Okay. Can you kind of say 
this is me and my name, and this is me and my name, so we can get a feel for your voices. Yeah, this is uh, Noah Harpster, and this is my gut Fitzerman Blue. And good luck, because we sound exactly the same. You know, you do. You've you've heard this, right? Well, yeah. we, we've been working together for 13 years, and, uh, you know, it's sort of like everything has merged together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like when you've been married for so long and you start to look like twins. It's so strange. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah just yeah, morph. We, we have, uh, we're both married uh, uh, to other people. Um, yes. But uh, but this is a second marriage that we're both in. I mean, <laughs> just... uh, it's, it's a, it has... All the same kind of things that you deal with with your wife. I can't. I can't tell you how many times we've showed up to a meeting wearing the same clothes. <laughs> One time we were, we were in a pitch and uh, we were wearing. I mean, literally the exact same thing. Wow. Uh, and I had I had like a big down vest in my car. Yeah. So I was like I'll just wear the vest though, so that we don't look like we're exactly. exactly it was right. August. It was like <laughs> they were like in the meeting. They were like, "Why are you sweating? Why are you wearing?" <laughs> Oh, and so I had to come clean. I had to like I had to oh. take the mess off and say, look, we're dressed exactly the same. Right, right. We didn't do it on purpose. Please don't yeah. shame us. Okay, so you guys, I have, first of all, you have to know that my community is like bananas for everything Mr. Rogers. So as we kind of like roll into this discussion, I, everybody listening on my end is going to be leaning on the ed- edges of their seats. We grew up with it. So I told my listeners already a little bit about who both of you are, but if you just wouldn't mind for a second, I'd love to hear a little more about your journey all the way to like this project. So each of you tell us, um, what made you sign up for a movie about Fred Rogers? Cause I'm not sure that's the most riveting, you know, action packed space in the world. Um, and then were you, were you fans of the show growing up? I'm curious. Um, I think I think we were, we were like, I was a fan. Like I had, my mom was a kindergarten teacher for 35 years. Oh, yeah. So oh, I like, I knew of Mr. Rogers. Certainly I, I wasn't like an avid watcher as a kid. I didn't really have much TV uh, in my house until, until I was a little older until, you know, until DuckTales kind of hit. Yeah. And then, and then I started totally. watching and uh, the golden age, the golden oh, age. Oh my gosh. That is so weird. The memory you just like dropped right into my brain. Yes. I, bet, I know in your head, you just went, woohoo. <laughs> I did. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, the Micah and I had been writing at this point together for about three years or so. Yeah. And we're constantly sort of looking for things we find interesting or intriguing or confusing yeah. that, that might be good subjects to write about. But the truth is, is that I had a two-year-old uh, toddler who was mm-hmm. driving me insane. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, wouldn't listen to anything I was saying and, and was really looking in sort of a moment of desperation for some help. And I put on, uh, I put on an episode of Mr. Rogers neighborhood yeah. and Fred started talking and she turned mm-hmm. to the screen and listened in a way that she has never listened mm-hmm. to me before or after that moment. Right. Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, I said, to, and, I, and I, of course, like Fred is just a, an amazing human being. And I right. said to Micah, I, uh, I, I said, I think, I think we've discovered a warlock that speaks toddler. We should write about him. We should talk about this. Yeah. And, and so we dove in and, and started doing a bunch of research on Fred. And, that, you know, that was almost 10 years ago. Was so, it? Wow. Toddler's now 12. Yeah. And, uh, 
Micah has a has a toddler of his own. Yeah. He's a, He's a full-on Daniel Tiger's neighborhood uh, fanatic. Of course. Uh, so when we were it's on like, set, it's bewitching. No generation can resist it. Oh yeah, and I mean, I'm constantly. I mean, being able to work on this project for ten years. Uh, mm-hmm. Granted, it's painful to have to wait for so long for something to come out that you've been working on. Um, but you know, these projects uh, they become kind of the the air you're breathing. And, yeah. and for us as terrified dads yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out how to become better parents, um, hmm. this has been a real gift to us, getting to learn. So question, when's the last time you slowed down to check in with your mental health? Maybe you've been feeling stuck and think, I really should go talk to someone, but finding the right person, it seems so daunting and your schedule is so busy. The time does not materialize on your calendar, but you know what? Help can now come to you thanks to BetterHelp Counseling. So BetterHelp can connect you to a licensed therapist or counselor online so you can get help whenever and wherever you need it. You can talk to your counselor via phone, text, chat, video, however it's convenient for you. And your sessions are, of course, absolutely private and secure. And if you don't connect with your counselor, you can easily switch to a new one at no charge at all. I am a huge advocate for counseling and BetterHelp is a really convenient, affordable way to find the help you need today. This is a brave choice. And they're giving my listeners 10% off their first month with the code for the love. So just go to betterhelp.com slash for the love, and then use the code for the love and get started right now. Okay, everybody back to the show. I confess something please um growing up i was really more of a sesame street guy bless it these just feel like fighting words in the pbs world i, I for, for, for whatever reason uh i think i was just probably eating too much sugar sure uh like i my, the 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 cadence how slow fred rogers right um I didn't have the patience for it and, and man, I wish I did, but, Hmm. but getting to, getting to learn about him and getting to delve so deep into his life for this long, um, has been one of the more rewarding experiences we've had sort of personally or professionally. Why did it take 10 years? You guys, what is that? That is that just how long this stuff takes or was this unusually slow? Yeah, sometimes it does. I think in this case, you know, Micah and I, uh, we wrote we wrote the script with like no real rights at all, hmm. um, just something that we felt like we had to write. And so, in a lot of ways, we did it a little backwards. Um, so we got we wrote the script, and then then came producers, and oh, then yeah. came directors, and then we sort of collectively went to the Fred Rogers estate and um, and his company, and we met with Bill Eisler, who you know is mm-hmm. uh, represented in the movie, and he's like, you know, you guys seem real nice. 
seems like uh, you really understood who Fred was, but I just want you to know that they'll, they'll, they'll never, ever be a Fred Rogers movie. So, hmm. I mean, if you want to send me your script, great, but just, just know that. <laughs> like, okay. Uh-huh. And then it took a while. Like, we didn't really go away. We kept at it, hmm. and, and Bill uh, eventually thawed and sort of, like, started listening to us and realized that, you know, uh, what our intentions were and that we were not – this was not exploitative. This is something that like we really believed in and that, you know, we were writing a lot about our own, our own struggles as, as new parents. And, mm. and that eventually uh, led to us meeting with Joanne Rogers, Fred's widow. Yeah. And she is this amazing human being uh, who I think uh, took to us pretty quickly at that point um, and our, and how we wanted to tell this story. And she really only had one, one sort of request slash demand of us, which is that we not treat um, her husband as a saint, hmm. but that we we treat him as as a real person who had real problems just like everyone else, and that and that he he thought about his way of life as a practice, hmm. as something um, that could be attainable, uh-huh. and and to call him a saint somehow negates that, um, and I think that that was like a really that was a really important moment for us hmm. because it allowed us to. To, to think of Fred as three-dimensional, but also really think about what it is um, that Fred did mm-hmm. and, and how he affected people and how he lived his life. Um, and, you know, years later, she said the same thing to Marielle, the director, and she was incredibly moved by it, so much so that she she asked us to, you know, actually put it in the movie. Yeah. So um, jo- Joanne Rogers in the movie actually says those words or a version yeah. of those words uh, to Lloyd Vogel. Um, and so then, you know, ultimately Marielle came on as a director and she said, uh, who have you always thought about playing Fred Rogers? Yeah. And like, you know, well, I mean, Tom Hanks. Right. Let's come back down to planet Earth. Right? Sure. And she's like, well, no, like, hold on. Let me let me see what I can do. And uh, really. And she she called Tom Hanks. She got a hold of Tom Hanks uh, and, you know, made a case. And, and, and he said yes, and then Mike and I uh, lost our mind. I cannot even imagine. You guys probably had to be peeled off the ceiling. I mean, that's he's, an, he's a national treasure. I want to dive into the movie a little bit because it might not be what viewers exactly think. Yeah. Um, but I w- if we can go one step backwards first, because you, the two of you together in partnership, you have some real magic. And I'm curious, can you, can you talk a little bit about how your partnership sort of came to be and how you got all the way to making and writing a movie that Tom Hanks is the lead actor? I mean, that's just, that's not step one. That's, that's not phase one here. uh, (laughs) um, Noah and I were set up on, for lack of a better term, a creative blind date. Yes. Um, We were broke uh, underemployed, maybe unemployed. Uh, and we were just hanging around in coffee shops, reading books. And we had both (laughs) read the same book and we had a mutual friend, uh, who would, he would each hang out with, but not together. And we were just yapping at them about Mm. this book. And eventually they were like, why don't we get you guys into a room together so you can stop talking to me about this and talk to <laughs> each other? And so we're like, all right. Uh, sure. we, uh, we wound up 
uh, like getting coffee. Um, yeah. It was it, it was everything we expected it would be. Um, and uh, it was awkward and confusing. Uh, awkward yeah. and confusing. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and from there, you know, it it wasn't like uh, the kind of thing where we're like, okay, well now let's form a a, a collaboration and write professionally for for thirteen years. Hmm. Um, you know, we each had our own projects. We were working on different things. We were both trying to figure out kind of who we were, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to be in the mm-hmm. entertainment industry. Um, and so, you know, it it happened in a very kind of uh, organic, non-strategic way. Um, yeah. And and so we we had read another book uh, that we that we love, and we said, man, this would be a good movie. Um, I and we knew somebody who was sort of like uh, out in Hollywood pretending to be a producer at the time. Sure. And we, said, hey, can we pretend to be writers and can you <laughs> pretend to be a producer? And uh, and and that's more or less kind of how we got our first movie made. Um, wow. It was it was about kind of collaborating with other people, um, you know, writing a lot of other stuff, making a lot of mistakes, and trying to learn. And I think for us, we've been doing it long enough that we we've, we've kind of figured out for us at least what the scheme of uh, of success in Hollywood, at least for us, is is mm-hmm. It's kind of getting paid to learn. Um, oh, nice! It's it's picking things that we don't know a lot about, uh, and and using um, using our curiosity as sort of our guide. And so mm. um, and so for Fred Rogers, we didn't really know anything about the man. Yeah, and, and it was it was this long process of doing research of kind of. Uh, uh, diving in and steeping ourselves in 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 what he stood for in his mm. history and everything we could about learn about him, that uh, that this movie sort of uh, was able to emerge from that. Mm. So it's interesting too as a viewer because it's not just about Fred Rogers the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's broader no. than that. It's wider than that. And to me, I think that it's that's what makes it so special. That's what makes it so memorable. I thought about it for days and days after I saw it. I wonder if as its creators, as its writers, as its executive producers, could you talk about that? Like what, the way that you framed it up, the way that you offered it to your viewers, the way that you told the story, um, did that, that all seem like immediately clear to you? Or how did you sort of parse that out? What's funny, you know, like the, the first time we sort of broke the story, um, we, we pitched it to our manager and he, he said, you know, that's really, really a good story. Um, but it's, it's like, it's a little straightforward mm. and it feels a little bit like, like a Hallmark movie. Yep. And, um, and we got really mad at him and then we said, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and no, it's, the reality is, is like, we, we didn't get really mad at him, but we were frustrated and we, we had kind of drive across town and on the drive home, uh, we were sort of talking it out and, and saying, you know, like, look, he's right. Like mm. this really is not, it really shouldn't be a really straightforward movie. We don't really tend to write those movies. We don't tend to like those movies, but for some reason we'd broken it that way, broken mm. the story. That way. And that's, that car ride is when we sort of came up with this device, which is that the show uh, is an episode of Mr. Rogers neighborhood about our main character, Lloyd Vogel, yeah. who is the journalist who gets assigned um, an interview with Fred, hmm. and that that car ride is sort of where we broke that that idea and that story, and then and that you know from our first draft on hmm. um, has been 
the frame of the show and sort of the structural frame of the show. It's funny, we got to go back uh, recently and look at all the drafts that we'd written over the years. Mm-hmm. And the very first draft we wrote, um, the, the opening scene is almost identical. There's like very few words that have been changed at all over huh. the course of the, the almost 10 years. Um, so it's always been kind of an idea from that first car ride that, that that's how we wanted to, to frame it. And that it was important that that Fred's message and, and Fred's sort of intent was pointed right at the audience. Hmm. And that Lloyd Vogel and his his sort of cynicism yeah. was was like a way for us as an audience to to come in to the movie with the same cynicism. That's right. Our same doubts about Fred and that hopefully as Lloyd's, you know, guards, his walls drop down and his guard mm-hmm. lowers and that he starts listening to Fred and, and really answering Fred's questions that the audience is then starting to, to think about their own lives. Right. think their own guards and their own judgments and own, um, you know, sort of preconceived ideas of who people are. His life did not lend itself um, to a conventional three-act narrative structure. Yeah, with right. the, you know, the, the low, the high, uh-huh. deep down, the, the, the deep low, and then sort of like that climactic um, yeah. resolution. Um, he was someone who was working at this, as Joanne told us, every single day. Uh-huh. But he was someone who was compulsively intimate. He mm. was a he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. He saw his life, um, you know, on camera, which was to talk to a broad audience, uh, primarily children or the children in a, who are still in the grownups uh, who he was talking uh-huh. to. Um, about the ways to deal with their negative emotions. But on an interpersonal level, every single person we spoke to who knew Fred Rogers had their lives uh, helped by him or shaped by him at some moment when they needed him the most. That comes through. Yeah. So, so, So that was the spirit of the movie. That absolutely came through, of course. Um, you did a pretty masterful job of telling the story. I cannot imagine that the moment it came to you to tell the story through the eyes of Lloyd, the journalist, it, that had to have felt like lightning in a bottle because, I, I mean, I can't count how many times we've thought over the years, like, surely Fred Rogers, can this cannot be real. We even bring our own cynicism to the story, like you suggested. And so being able to tell it through the eyes of Lloyd, who is such a cynic in this movie, I think really that is just a game changer for the way that we experience it. Living a healthy life is far more than just losing weight, right? It's about developing habits that help you feel like your strongest, your most confident self. And I found a partner that guides me and cheers me on. And you've heard me talk about it. It's called Noom. Noom is not a diet. It's just this healthy and easy to stick to way of life. Noom is based in psychology. So it teaches you why you make the choices that you do, like what's under all of this. Um, Plus they arm you with all these tools to start replacing bad entrenched habits with better ones, just really one baby step at a time. Uh, My personal experience with Noom is that it's all these victories in my life that have nothing to do with the scale. 
that is why this is working for me. I feel so much better in my mind. I feel so much better in my body. I have more energy. I'm developing this muscle memory for confidence because I'm I'm seeing that it is possible to relearn and to begin making good choices for myself in a habitual way. So it's just a game changer for my mindset and then ultimately for my physical health. You can sign up for your absolutely free trial. So go to Noom, it's N-O-O-M noom.com slash for the love. So that is noom.com slash for the love. Start making those like small manageable changes this very day. Noom.com slash for the love. Okay, guys, back to our show. You kind of just mentioned this, but the whole movie deals with processing really complex emotions, the whole thing. And so obviously that was a hallmark of Fred's to help kids move through it, which is helpful, but also adults, like you mentioned. And so I think showing that journey through really nuanced, very complicated feelings and emotions is a really hard thing to put on camera. Um, To your earlier point, it would be easier just to sort of do a flat one-dimensional telling um, of the Mr. Rogers, Um, but rather you took on this really nuanced angle. So I'm wondering what were some of the levers that you pulled on screen to bring that all to life. Obviously the casting was a huge part. The the performances in in the movie are belong to the incredibly talented actors who Mari cast and then directed. Mm. So all credit goes to her about those performances. Um it's kind of her superpower. Is it? Yeah, like cast I mean she has a lot of superpowers, but one of them is is casting and working with actors and making them feel safe and getting amazing performances out of them. Mm. I mean, she had like, you know, big, big, big famous A-list people coming for the Lloyd character. And, and she was like, it's Matthew. It's mm. Matt. Yeah. And she fought and fought for him. She knew he was the right guy. How did you feel when you watch some of these early cuts? Um, when you're seeing the way Matthew Matthew was so emotive. I, I I just, his performance really affected me um, a lot. And as did everybody else's, were you feeling like we got it when you started seeing like the early pieces of it come together? Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's that moment of like uh panic whenever you <laughs> see the first cut of anything. Uh, sure. cause, Cause you're just like, you're just like, Oh no. Like, do we, is it just, it's just all wrong because, you know, like uh, a movie is written three times. Mm. It's written in the first, you know, in the, in, uh, on the page as a screenplay. And then, you know, things shift and change uh, when you're actually shooting the movie, when you're actually filming it. Um, lines sound different. Some things are cut. Some things are added. Um, it just, it's, it's, it's a living thing. And then uh, the editor is sort of the last writer, so to speak. So mm. there are things that, you know, make sense on the page that don't make sense when you actually are looking mm, at the right. So you know it's going to be different. Thankfully, Noah and I have had enough experience looking at rough cuts mm-hmm. um, that uh, that when we saw the first uh, the first assembly of this movie, which is almost even before a rough cut, mm. um, we both looked at each other and we said, "Yeah, it's mm. there." That's great. It's going to take a while to get there, but it's there. Yeah. Um, 
and, and and for us it really was it was about those scenes between uh fred and lloyd between tom hanks yeah. and matthew reese which we sort of had always hoped to structure a little bit like boxing matches mm-hmm. uh uh you know it's a it's a fight it's a heavyweight battle between cynicism and empathy that's <laughs> between, right between darkness and kindness and uh and if those scenes didn't work the movie doesn't work mm. and those scenes uh worked from you know scouts and that yeah totally it was totally a trip though i'll say like having lived in our in our imaginations for so many years yeah to then see you know, there's obviously when you're on set, it's it's a trip. But when you see it on the big screen and it's all put together, totally. That that first time we watched it was was totally surreal. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I'm curious um, from your perspective, the both of you. I mean, you spent ten years immersed in the world of Fred Rogers, so that's a really long time um, to think about the same person and to study his life and talk to the people who knew him and loved him and were impacted by him. So I, I mean, you've, you've got to be experts on Fred at this point. I'm curious, I'd like to hear from both of you, what you personally find most striking about Fred Rogers. What is the thing that you either learned or discovered over time, or just that you walk away with going, this is the thing that I find most remarkable about him? The answer is a lot. Uh, Mm. but, but just to, just to, just for starters, uh, he was so brave in what he decided to talk to small children about. Yeah. Far more brave than I think a lot of people are today. Uh, certainly parents I know, uh, certainly myself. Um, Fred Rogers was talking about uh, divorce. Yeah. He was talking about death. He was talking about mass shootings. That's right. He was talking about things, uh, uh, assassination. He was racism. talking about mm-hmm. racism. Uh, he was talking about sexuality. Um, yeah. He was talking about things that um, that that if you were to uh, frame it a different way, you could say that this man was a revolutionary. That's he true. Was, he was decades ahead of his time, and and maybe we haven't yet caught up with him. So. Mm-hmm. What, what, what we marveled at was that there wasn't an issue that he was afraid to speak about. Sort of like a, a leader of a faith community where like, you know, you want, you want the answers. You want yeah. someone's perspective who you trust on, uh, on the issues that matter the most to you. And, and if you're a child, you want this terrifying, confusing, enormous world explained to you in a way that you can understand. And it, you know, there's, I think we all know a lot of smart people who can give you a very complicated answer to a very complicated problem. It's only the geniuses who are able to distill down those issues into something that feels simple, that feels digestible, that cuts through everything and feels true. And, and, and that for us, I mean, if you, I mean, think about it. Think about trying to explain anything to your small kids. Right. Uh, anything difficult. Um, and he had this saying, which was anything that's mentionable is manageable, hmm. which was his way of empowering people to talk about their feelings. But man, when Fred Rogers is the person mentioning it, it yeah. becomes a lot more manageable. You're right. 
That's a great answer. I love that. It's funny because now he may have been under these days, great criticism for steering the ship into those tumultuous waters on a children's program. But back then, it's almost like his gentle demeanor just tricked everybody into letting him get away with it. And so here he is hosting these really, really charged conversations on this little low production, low budget show. It it just almost seems like a miracle that was ever allowed to happen. Yeah, I think he knew that. I think, you know, later in life, he said, I would never, ever be able to make my show now. I would mm. never be able to do this uh, these days. And so I, I, we often wonder, like, what what Fred would do now. Like, yeah. if, if we're alive now, how would he, how would he mm. be able to witness in the way that he had for, you know, 50 years? Totally. Would there be a place for him? Mm. And we certainly hope that there would. Yeah, that's a great question. I I find myself curious too. It's such a weird time to be alive right now. Just everything is such a dumpster fire and it feels everything so sensationalized and acute almost every second of every day. You know, I would have loved to have had the wisdom of Fred in the internet age. Um, I would have loved to have heard his take on how to manage this well um, because it feels unmanageable for so many of us. I don't know. What do you guys think he would be saying these days? I'm curious. You could probably project forward. Where do you think he would land? I think a lot of, I think a lot of his, his theories and his beliefs, you know, and, and his sayings, as Micah said, you know, anything mentionable is manageable are still incredibly true. Hmm. I mean, anything mentionable is manageable. It's like, if you can say it, it can get better. You know, like just being able to communicate and say the thing, um, I think is, is a real problem now. You know, it's like later in life, he, he, um, he was asked by, uh, an interviewer, you know, what, what is it that you will hope to have accomplished? Um, you know, when you leave, when you leave this planet. And he said, um, I hope to have given children positive ways to deal with their negative feelings. Hmm. That's nice. And like that, I mean, it is in and of itself like an amazing thing to be able to 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 say like that. That simply, this is what I hope to have accomplished. Mm-hmm. But I think from for for me, like the big thing is that he was able to answer that question without even thinking. Hmm, right. And regardless of his answer, even though his answer is an amazing answer, it's like I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that. I, and I think that like that for, for me was a, a big lesson in like how I'm thinking about my own life and how I'm thinking about the people that I interact with and the choices that I'm making and how I'm, you know, raising my kids and how I'm, how I'm interacting with my wife and my business partner. And it's yeah. like, what, what is the thing that I hope to leave them with? Hmm. And I think that if people just took a little time to think about that, um, we would be living in a different world. Mm, you're so right. Just that sort of clarity of thought, that very distilled vision for what he was here for, uh, without being like really muddied or diluted or kind of all over the place. He kind of had one true North Star, and he lived into it, as far as I can tell, his entire life yeah. um, with a lot of consistency. You know, like we're, we're so tribal right now. Yeah. We're so divided right now. Everything is so polarized. And what, and, and that, that works when we don't actually spend time thinking about the humanity of the other people in the different tribe 
mm-hmm. on the other side. And one thing that Fred stood for was having people recognize each other's humanity yeah. and specifically speaking to, um, uh, to children who don't have oh. tribes, hmm, who don't have, uh, who, who are not inherently polarized, who have to That's learn right. these things and they have to have them modeled. One of my favorite things we, we ever came across, um, we heard from Hedda Sherapan, who, who worked for Fred uh, for, for decades and decades. And she was sort of the first, uh, she was the first draft of mm. a lot of the things that Fred Rogers was asked to do. And, um, and one day, Fred Rogers is asked to write the introduction to a textbook for people studying to become pediatricians. Okay. So she writes this, you know, like seven or eight page intro um, to, to, to would-be doctors for children okay. um, from Mr. Rogers. And then she gives it to Fred and Fred reads it. He looks up, he smiles, he says, thank you so much for this. You did a great job. And then he crosses it all out. Okay. <laughs> he writes, remember that you were a child once. Oh, wow. Because that's all that he needed to tell doctors who are going to be staring at the faces of a bunch of terrified little kids who didn't want to get their shots, which is to connect to that part of them that was a child that knew what it was like to feel small and scared. Mm. That's what he saw. That is amazing. That gave me goosebumps. Um, That feels right. That feels true to form. That feels on brand for Fred Rogers. That's exactly what I would think he would say. Um, and I, it's, it's just great. We are lucky. We are lucky to have lived in the era of Fred Rogers. And yeah. his legacy lives on through your work. And I, you have to be so proud of this movie. You definitely should be. It's really beautiful. Um, it's really, really special. It's obviously going to be a bananas smash hit. I mean, it's going to go through the roof. So congratulations in advance. You guys have like made it out of the coffee shop. Um, really glad for you. Tis the season of buying gifts for other people, which we love, but sometimes it's also fun to treat yourself. For me, one of the best treat yourself gifts is an Audible membership. Frankly, now is the best time to do it because Audible is offering you a whopping 53% off your first three months. So with an Audible membership, you can access a huge selection of audiobooks like bestsellers and mysteries memoirs really all of it you get to choose three titles for free every month one audiobook and then two exclusive audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else and then you get 30 percent off all regularly priced audiobooks hey guess what you can even get jen hatmaker on your audible app did you know that i recorded my last two books. So for the love and of mess and moxie. So I can be your virtual road trip buddy or um, task buddy or run on the treadmill buddy or whatever it is you do and read to you right into your ears. Uh, So for just a short amount of time, you can get three months of audible for just $6 and 95 cents a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Uh, And so then you get to choose again, one audio book and two audible originals. 
absolutely for free. Just go to audible.com slash for the love, or you can text the words for the love to 500, 500. Okay. So audible.com slash for the love, or you can text for the love to 500, 500. Okay, guys, back to our show. Uh, I want to ask one last question, then I'm gonna let you go. This is just a question. And this is for you personally. We ask every guest we have on the show this question um, in every series. And you can answer it however you want. Like it can be something really serious and sweet, or it can just be the dumbest thing you ever said. Uh, But this is the question. What is saving your life right now? We'll start with you, Noah. I would say my family is saving my life right now. Hmm. Um, my wife, Robin, we've mm-hmm. been, we've been married 15 years. Yeah. Um, and she's been, she's been with me <laughs> from all the coffee shops. Sure. <laughs> you know, um, uh, through all of it. And, you know, we're having what's, what's called a moment right now. Mm. And when, when the moment happens, it's hard to appreciate it. Yeah. And it's hard to also appreciate what you already have. Mm, good. And I think that they, uh, my wife and, you know, my mom and my two daughters every day are just like living it joyfully with me. That's great. And I think that that, that for me right now is what's, what's really saving my life. That's fantastic. I mm. love it. How old are your girls? Uh, t- uh, almost 12 uh-huh. and 10. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good ages right there. Okay. How about you, Micah? I mean, if I didn't send my family, then I'd be a bad person. I know. You're a real jerk now. Let's just say <laughs> so, if you want, don't want to say that, we can just assume that's also yeah, an answer. I do, actually. Uh, okay. I have, my, my wife is entering her third, her third trimester right now. Wow. And uh, I have a three-year-old. And I got to give uh, credit where credit is due to my three-year-old for um, just reminding me of, like, that none of this actually matters in kind of a great way. <laughs> like, uh, I, no one I have had to go to some pretty ridiculous, very Hollywood events. Some, and sometimes, you know, we're getting our photos taken. And, uh, and, and one time, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had someone over, um, to do my wife's makeup. Um, and, and then also to prepare me, uh, to, to be photographed, to be which, fancy, which yeah. meant that, which meant that I got, uh, to have makeup put on me. <laughs> well, that seems <laughs> delightful. So my three-year-old, uh, in her like Elsa princess dress, um, watching her dad, uh, getting makeup put on him, um, uh, was, uh, like lovely and a little humiliating and, um, <laughs> And just felt right. It was like, right. This is ridiculous. We are just playing dress up. Yep. We're all doing make-believe. We're all just in this huge game of pretend. Totally. And, 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 and that's, that counts for something, especially as, you know, everyone around us forgets to breathe. And we do sometimes too. That's so great. Uh, hey, you guys, thank you for saying yes to this. I was so excited that I was going to get to talk to you both today. And I'm really proud of what you've done. And you should be too. And I cannot wait for everybody to go see it. It's going to be the, it's going to be the talk of the town. Um, and so thanks for coming on the show today. And you can just count me in your corner as it rolls out into the world. Just cheer it on in every possible way. Thank you so much. Thank and you what a pleasure. Much. 
Thanks, you guys. Isn't it great to feel excited for two guys like that? For their success, for the fruition of their hard work. I saw a screening of the movie um, back in September. And it was really powerful. It's it's just not necessarily what you think. It's complex and it brings a lot of feelings to the screen and darkness and sadness. And I mean, it was just really special. I, I thought about it for so long and um, I brought all my kids at one point at a really like t- poignant moment in the movie. Um, I'm kind of reaching up. I'm wiping away tears. And Caleb, my senior, is sitting next to me and he's like, Mom, me too. <laughs> we just passed down the Kleenex. Um, and so I was thrilled to get to talk to them, um, having experienced their work now and um and then realize how much heavy lifting went into it, how much work, how many years. So great. You're going to want to see it, you guys. Um, I promise you that. So really grateful to have Micah and Noah on today. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Can't wait to hear what you think of the Mr. Rogers movie. I think you're going to love it. I think it's going to spark amazing discussion in our community. So um, I look forward to that. Okay, everybody, thank you for being here today. Thank you for tuning in, subscribing, downloading, listening. You are the absolute greatest. Have a good one. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.